Welcome back to another edition of the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. We are here today with Cody Decker. Cody is from Santa Monica, California. He's a UCLA Bruin, two-time All-Pac-10 selection, uh, drafted in the 22nd round by the San Diego Padres, and retired from professional baseball in 2019 and has moved on to some, some other endeavors in life. So, Cody, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh talk baseball talk some whiskey uh, two of my big passions especially the whiskey portion yeah i was stoked we were able to connect over twitter and uh break down a little bit of whiskey and get to chat about a little bit and, and get to make this happen so appreciate it ah uh, thanks for having me man really what are you uh, now what are you starting with i know you had a couple of options you're going with so i'm i'm currently in el paso texas um, I am not in Los Angeles, California. If I was in Los Angeles, I, my, I've showed you my uh, bar. You showed me yours. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very extensive bar. I love it. A lot of whistle pig. A lot of, lot of, what, what, lot of tealing. You got yeah. a lot of tealing. Yeah. I have a lot of Jack Daniels, but that is not because I'm a diehard Jack Daniels fan. I am a big Jack Daniels fan, but I'm actually more of a single malt Irish whiskey fan. So I have a, I have a ton of single malts in my Jack Daniels barrel uh, bar. But I do have a couple of specialties here today. I do have my number one favorite whiskey. Uh, I go, it's my go-to any chance I get. If I'm in a bar or a restaurant and they have this, I'm not drinking anything else. I don't care what they have. If they just have the 12 of this, the 12-year, it's all I need. It's, a 12-year of this is better than a 50-year of anything else. And that is single malt Irish whiskey in the Pogue Castle. I, uh, the 12-year is amazing. I have another bottle of uh, the 12-year at home. I have a nice 30-year-old small batch bottle at home and one uh, bottle of the 21 that I try not to ever open unless it's a special occasion. So I'm really excited to start with that. And uh, later, I got a little Four Roses small batch that I'm really, you know, I'm just a fan of it. It's just a good, good bourbon. Have you had had a small batch select yet? I have not. I have not at all. It's pretty good. I'm going to have to get on that. Yeah. I just like the small batch because it's, it's such a good bourbon mm-hmm. for a really reasonable price. Yeah. And my, and my last one, I'm not going to announce right now because it is just too special. Yeah. I'm stoked to hear about that one. Cause I, I want to, yeah, I want to try that one out too. Yeah. I really like the four roses. I'm with you. That small batch is good. I've been hit or miss on the single barrel. I had a couple of good bottles. I've had a couple of not so good bottles, but the, the small batch is super consistent. Dig that. I've never had an issue with the single barrel when it comes to, you know, like taste. I've always had the same taste with them. I have had a varying degree of headaches the next day, though, yeah. Yeah. that have been sig- very significantly noticeable. Yeah, I, I believe it because that goes down a little, a little easy. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start easy. with <laughs> I'm gonna start with the whistle pig 10 year. Nice. And I just got into Rise, which is weird because I had I was just not a big Rye fan, mm-hmm. and I got the uh, I got the sample of the Whistle Pigs with the 10, 12, and 15 year. Loved them. I thought the price for the 10 year compared to the 15 was just I could justify the 10 year price, but the 15 year price it wasn't good. It wasn't that much better to justify the jump in price. So. No. Oh, yeah. No. I. I. And I agree with you. There's a lot of less aged uh, bottles of whiskey that are. Far better. Like for instance, uh, one of my favorite whiskeys, and a lot of a lot of people, especially if you're into Irish whiskey, Redbreast. Redbreast oh, yeah. Twelve is amazing. Mm-hmm. The Fifteen, it is battery acid. It is undrinkable. I can't I can't believe it's the same brand. But the Eighteen's amazing. I don't know what's going on in year Fifteen, but don't drink it. Yeah, I haven't had. I had the Twelve. Really like the Twelve. I don't know if it's like an everyday type drink. You know, it's hit, it's hitting that like fifty to sixty dollar mark. So it's kind of, 
for an everyday, it's getting up there in price a little bit, but uh, it's pretty good, man. I can, I definitely dig that, that 12 year for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. It, it really is. But, uh, you know, you mentioned L.A. I mean, you, you're a coach for the Dodgers organization. Are you from the L.A. area? Yeah, Huntington Beach. Oh, look at that. Really close. I love yeah. that. Yeah, not far at all. So Look at that. We're, we're neighbors, we man. We didn't go to uh, – we didn't get up to L.A. area much. We, we went down to San Diego a bit more. It was a oh, I get that. So. Back at that time, it was a much more inviting time to go to San Diego than it oh, was to go to sure. Los Angeles. Yeah, San, it's a fun – that's a fun town for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cool things down there. And then going to Padres games, like after the game, going down to um, – what's, what's the downtown out there? Uh, Gaslamp District. Gaslamp. What a cool place, man. Yeah, that whole area is awesome. I love when, I play, I, when I got to the big leagues, I lived in the, the Omni across the street. Oh, yeah. And it was, just, it was just dinner in the Gaslamp District. It was so cool. Loved it. Great spot. Well, look, I, I want to get into a little bit of your, uh, your baseball experiences. Obviously, you know – you spent, you spent seven years in the minor leagues, right, before your first big league call-up? My first and really my only big league call-up. I mean, my, my career is as Crash Davis as it gets. It's, <laughs> it's – I finished my career riding on buses telling people about my 20 days in the show. Like, yeah, I was there, and uh, you'll never believe it. But, yeah, I, I got up in uh, 2015 with the San Diego Padres. I didn't really get a chance to play, unfortunately. I, I got a couple of pinch hit appearances. I got one start. Uh, sadly, no hits, but I did get an RBI. Got, uh, and it was, it, was, it was nice to get a chance to the big leagues. But, uh, I, you know, looking back, I wish I got a chance to actually play and show what I can do. But, you know, how can I be, ever be bitter about it? I got a chance to say that I'm a big leaguer, and I owe the San Diego Padres that for the rest of my life. What's, what was that like? I mean, what's that? What, I think that's that moment, like, everybody dreams of, you know, getting called up to the big leagues and finding out that you're going to be a big leaguer. Like, what was that like for you to find out? Weird, actually, because I, you know, I played in the Padre organization for seven years. And at that point, I had every offensive record the Padres had in the minor leagues. I had their home run record by like over 40 at the time. I had their RBI record, total base record. And I was just like, hey, you know, maybe you can let me play in the big leagues once because I, I just one time because I, I keep hitting 30 home runs and I keep getting shorted like 150 at bats. So I'm still hitting home run like one every 11 at bats. And I'm, you know, I put up good numbers. Maybe you should give me a shot. And I always heard about how terrible I was, but I just, I had a blast playing and I, I, no matter what I did, I made sure I wanted to make sure my clubhouses were as fun as possible. If I was going to be that guy that was going to be stuck in AAA, I mean, you've been around pro baseball enough that you know how AAA does not lend itself to the most friendly of atmospheres. You got enough guys on the team that have been to the big leagues that are in the minor leagues now that are, you know, they're getting screwed. Well, in their eyes, they're getting screwed. The young guys at the time, young guy like me at the time going like, hey, I haven't gone to the big leagues. I'm getting screwed. Uh, Pitchers, hey, I'm getting screwed because I'm on the taxi squad. I keep it. It's just, it's so easy to get negative in AAA. And my first experience in AAA really taught me that. I played on a team that was extraordinarily bitter. And from that point on, I'm like, I will never be in a clubhouse like that again. Um, so when I got a chance to get called up to the big leagues, it was kind of a weird thing because it was my final game with the Padres. I was in AAA in El Paso. We just played a playoff game, got knocked out. I sat in the, uh, the clubhouse after the game, no calls. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's it. And a part of me kind of thought, I guess my, uh, maybe my career is over. I mean, if the Padres never called me up, what's it going to be like another team comes along and be like, hey, you know, you were there for seven years, but what's wrong with you? That was honestly a real worry in my head. That I'm like, you know, maybe I should, maybe this is it for me. I remember I flew home the next day 
and I was at baggage claim. And at that night, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, we, you know, we were on the phone, a lot of tears where I was telling her, I think I'm going to retire. I, I think, you know, it just, the only thing that sucks is I, I would have loved to get the call up just so I can say it was all worth it. And I, re I remember the next day I was in baggage claim and it was a very depressing night and morning, but I'm sitting there at the baggage claim. And then I did send a text message to our head of player development and I, cause it was his first year doing the job and he was young. He was like the same age as me. So I just want to say, Hey man, congratulations on everything this year. Thank you for the year. And I know you're going to be amazing at this job and I wish you guys all the luck going forward. Really do. Thank you. And I got a phone call from him that next day while I have a baggage claim. And I'm just thinking he's calling to thank me for the nice note. At no point did it cross my mind what this conversation was going to be about. And it was Sam Ganey, by the way. And Sam Ganey's a really nice guy. I really like Sam Ganey. And uh, he just had the conversation. He's like, I wanted to thank you for the note. I said, oh, no problem. It's going to be great. And I love the Padres and I love you guys. Thank you so much for all these, all these years. You know, maybe we'll talk down the road and maybe next year I'll, you know, still be around. And he just goes, well, you know, I, I know you've been in this organization a long time. You put up huge numbers you have kind of been passed over quite a few times so it really breaks my heart to call you because i know you have people in this organization you're really really close with i said yeah I said, but uh i hate to inform you that the team needs you in arizona you're going to the big leagues and i just took a pause and i was just like listen sam here's the deal <laughs> and I, I had this moment of clarity instead of being excited i heard what he said it was like a shot just an absolute it shouldn't have been a gut punch but it was a gut punch and i'll tell you why because my first thought was Listen, I played a lot of pranks. <laughs> I played a lot of pranks. And some of them went viral. And, you know, some of them I haven't gotten my comeuppance on yet. And I know it's eventually coming. So I'm just like, listen, if this is a prank, I want you to know it's great. And, and, and I would honestly tell you, though, based on the night I just had, it would be going too far. So I really need you to tell me whether or not this is true. <laughs> And he just laughed. He's like, no, you're going to the big leagues. You're joining the team. Uh, we have an off day today. I want you to go home, tell your family, and fly out tomorrow morning. And I just said, unbelievable. Wow. And what was really weird about it, the moment I got off that phone call, I, and I mean the moment to the second, my phone pings. And it was Reggie Smith, who, you, who was my hitting coach growing up, I, my mentor. He was a hitting coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 90s, of course, over 300 home runs, switch hitter, played for the Dodgers for years, won a World Series there in 81. And he, he just sent me a text message and said, I knew it. Congratulations. And I just went, wait, what? I texted him like, why do you know this? I just was told 30 seconds ago. And he, his only response was, I know everything. I knew about this a month ago. I'm like, what? This was known a month ago? And I kind of got a little angry because I'm like, wait a second. I just played playoffs in September yeah. in, in El Paso. That's like $25,000. <laughs> Could he use that? Yeah. So I mean, I love playing in the playoffs in El Paso, but $25,000 is $25,000. What's that? So what's it like? That, I mean, do you call, you call home? You, you know, let your parents know? Like, how's that go? So my girlfriend was picking me up uh, mm -hmm. at the time, my wife now. And I, I didn't have any speech planned. I normally can talk all day. I just, I didn't know what to do. I just, she got out of the car. She knows nothing. I just found out. I'm in shock, really. And I just, she comes out of the car to help. She's not really helping me. She just wanted to come around and hug me. So she came around to hug me and she hugged me because she felt sad for me. <laughs> and then I was just like, hey, uh, this hug's about to change. Mm -hmm. I'm going to the big leagues. And she just burst into tears crying. And um, I had some tears and I went home and I recorded telling my parents, but my parents, especially my father, who is, is uh, probably the reason why I, we're going to be talking a lot of whiskey tonight. Um, 
he was very shirtless and my dad is not a, as attractive without a shirt on as other people. So I was just like, okay, well, this video is useless. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything with it. But I told them they both cried. They were very happy. It was cool because my one start was at Dodger Stadium and I got to do that. That's actually the coolest thing about my time in the big leagues. I, I only got one start, but I started first base at Dodger Stadium. Um, the only downside, and I was so excited for this, I wanted Vin Scully to announce my at bat. Vin Scully had a cold that weekend and wasn't there. Instead, Charlie Steiner called me Corey Decker three times. <laughs> so, yes, you get your debut. You get, you get the wrong name. And, Not I'll never, and I never got to do it again, but Charlie Steiner called me Corey Decker three times. Oh, God. That's Thank brutal. you, Charlie. Yeah. No, not going to forget that one forever. No. Was there a, was there a, I think I thought I saw some more. Was there a Dexter thrown in there too? I wouldn't surprise me. I, I've gotten so many names. It's, it's always been a problem with the first name Cody for first oh, off. Yeah. Cause you call, if anytime you're calling a restaurant, uh, yeah, the name of the order, Cody, Corey, Cody, Tony, <laughs> Cody, Toby. Yeah. Toby. That's it. Just write it down. I'll be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> oh my God. That's unreal. I mean, yeah. how, what a, how exciting though playing at Dodger Stadium. I'm sure you grew up going to games there. Like you're I used to go to at least three games a week when they were at home, especially when I was in high school. I was a diehard Dodger fan. Uh, I really was. Like my, I, grew, I grew up in the 90s, you know, I'm, I'm 34 now. I was uh, Mike Piazza was oh, yeah. legendary to me, but believe it or not, I was the biggest Eric Karros fan in the really? world. I loved Eric Karros. And then a couple of years later when Sean Green joined, because mm -hmm. I'm Jewish, you know, yeah. we have a Jewish power hitting player in the los angeles dodgers obviously you're my hero sure yeah and then later i got to play with sean green which was really surreal because 11 year old me in my head is going crazy green. yeah and sean green's hitting yeah i'm hitting the first game we played i'm hitting behind sean green and i'm just sitting next to him i normally i would be i i was never i was never ever like shocked by anybody ever um but so, and I think Sean Green thought, found me a little brazen because I sat next to him in our first game and we had known each other at this point for about mm, two days. I just sit next to him. He's just pining up his bat. I'm like, oh man, Sean. So you excited? You're hitting fourth today? You're going to rake today. You know why? He's like, why? Because I'm hitting fifth. You're never going to see more fastballs in your life. You're welcome. And he just walked away. You're welcome, Sean. What a, what Happy a, to pomp what a pompous little prick. <laughs> So were you, was that in the World Baseball Classic? That was the first qualifier that we did in, I think, 2012, I believe. Well, okay. What was that like? Yeah. What was it like playing for Team Israel? I mean, that, that had to be a pretty awesome experience. Really awesome. Really, really awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up, I grew up Jewish, obviously, but I didn't, I wouldn't say I was very, very Jewish. I just, if you're in from Santa Monica, you're, you know, odds are you're Jewish. Um, so I just, I grew up, it seemed normal to me. It wasn't until I got to professional baseball that it wasn't normal. I'm like, oh, you didn't all grow up like this? Oh, okay. That's, so I'm the weird one. Good to know. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, it, it was amazing. Uh, I didn't even know there were enough Jewish ballplayers in professional baseball to fill a team. Um, and there really were. We had got, and, and we were good, too, especially in the actual baseball classic. You know, you had me, Nate Fryman, Ryan LaVarnway, Sam Fold, Josh Zide. These were all guys that played at the highest levels and were really, really successful. I mean, if you take into account not just our big league careers, but our minor league careers, there was in that starting lineup, there was like 900 home runs in that starting lineup. Uh, it, it was a good ball club, really good ball club. And we kind of, we kind of took it more along the lines of, we were getting, we were getting uh, a lot of negative press early on. We were called has-beens and wannabes by ESPN and 
said we were 201 favorites and we were like laughing we're like you guys don't know that we're gonna beat all of you right like we're actually good like i'm looking around my line i'm like they have no idea what's about to happen we know the roster was loaded loaded absolutely loaded they didn't change their tune until we beat korea once we beat um cuba they started calling us usa team usa b team and i'm like you think any of us could sniff the usa team you kidding me you had you had south korea hmm? cuba netherlands and was chinese we beat all of them all yeah we in chinese Taipei, we beat all of them that's nuts and that's right. I, I mean i will say there is one thing that never sat well with me uh, only one that really about that tournament because we beat the netherlands in the first uh round mm -hmm. the next round they beat us but we lost to gyre jurgens and two months later got popped for steroids oh we yeah. were that never sat well for me because that one loss kept us from going to dodger stadium in the final god it's crazy yeah i mean and you had because you had kapler was there right and mm -hmm. uh he was there the first go around but he didn't play he was just a coach the first coaching staff in 2012 was absurd like yeah, a, a player coach was sean green osmus was the manager um <laughs> uh kapler was the uh out the outfield coach our third base coach was loretta mark loretta it was just like the nate who's fish. who huh nate fish with you guys nate fish was there and nate. you always you gotta always have nate fish in the mix yeah <laughs> nate was with us for a year he was a good dude yeah nate's a fun nate's a really really good dude i like nate a lot i actually talked to him on the phone last week nice yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. I really liked him. He was, uh, he was very, he spoke very highly of his experience, both playing with team Israel in the world baseball classic and his time that he spent in Israel. He, he said it was a blast. It was a once in yeah. a lifetime experience that he loved. It's he he's done some pretty special things over there. Really has. He's yeah. helped a lot of young ball players. No doubt. So tell me how your, cause one thing I did, I did find, which I thought was awesome was your mensch on the bench. <laughs> and it's actually in the other room right now. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it is. My, this is my closet. My, my favorite part of it was I saw a, like a press conference and somebody was asking about like the mensch. <laughs> you said that's Jerry Weinstein, our manager. And I, dude, I lost it. I thought that was <laughs> absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, my, my whole goal with it. So we, it happened in the qualifier. It was the night before the game, uh, the first game we were playing, um, I think England and, uh, <laughs> United Kingdom. I'm sorry, but it was, uh, I, I remember we we're sitting there we're like something's missing. We're not done. We're not, we're ready. We're going to win. We're not ready yet. And my club, he's just staring at me. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I need you to go somewhere. We're in New York city. I need you to find me a mensch on the bench. He's like, what's that? I Google it for him. Find that. Uh, I don't care what it takes. He's like, it's 11 PM the night before. Like where am I going to find it? I'm like, I don't care. That's why we, you're, you're our clubby. That's why we pay you extra money. And he just kind of laughed. He's like, I'll get it done. I'm like, my man. Next day, it's sitting there in my locker, and he's like, how long did it take you? He's like, surprisingly, not that long. I'm like, oh, good. This so we had this regular – Yeah, we're not talking a little thing. Like, we're no, talking we're talking the regular mensch on the bench. So we, create, we, we had it be our little Jewish Joe Boo. Awesome. And so what we would do is make offerings to it. We got it, a bunch of stuff, and then we kept it in the dugout. And it kind of took off during the qualifier. And then the mensch on the bench sales went up through the roof because of the qualifier. And then they got a hold of me and said, we want to give you a life-size one. And I said, well, obviously I need that. And they sent me a box. And I mean a box, a shipping crate box filled with more mensch on the bench swag than I'll ever know what to do with. And in there was a gigantic life-size mensch on the bench. So I'm like, oh, God, I cannot wait for the WBC. This is going to be so much fun. But I never wanted to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. 
I always wanted to make people force me to talk about it. I always wanted to be there. I, I was like my weird Andy Kaufman thing. I'm like, I just want, I want it to be here and I know it's there and you know, it's there, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. It's just, it. I, I, yeah, it's, don't, don't worry about it. What are you talking about? <laughs> so anytime I would say something, he was like, what's that? What's what? He's talking about. He's like that. Oh, him? Oh. He's like our deity. I mean, he's our, he's our friend. He's our mentor. <laughs> I, would, I would suggest to anybody that has not, not seen the videos to go on to Antihero Baseball on YouTube <laughs> and take a look at some of these because the, the Brad Ausmus video, I, I, when I text you, I was literally like dying laughing at that thing because everything about it was just was hilarious. I showed my wife, like she was cracking up. Um, but the, the introduction between Brad and the Mench on the Bench was, was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, uh, I was in Vegas for the Mets, and I was, uh, I was injured, so I had nothing to do. I'm like, all right, I want to just make some films with the Mench on the Bench and Brad. Let's, Brad. let's dust off Brad for a couple of days and do some more stuff with Brad. And it all culminated. In, um, I was hoping it would get popular. It didn't at all, but it all culminated with this, the dumbest idea I ever had, which was just remaking the 18 credits, but with me, the Mench on the Bench, and Brad Ausmus as all the characters from the A-Team. And so I just reshot the opening credits about me being a washed-up ball player in Vegas. But if you need anybody, perhaps you can hire the four A-Team. And had shirts made, everything. Felt so good about it. So all the four A guys on the team, I gave them four A-Team shirts. Awesome. Uh, so I felt pretty good about that. And then I remember the next spring training I was with the Diamondbacks. I walked around with the four A-Team shirt, and a couple of guys were like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, what? This is, you're not part of the team. You're not cool enough. Sorry, Archie Bradley Jr. You got way too much showtime to wear this shirt. Yeah, you're not in. Sorry, dude. You're not part of this cool club. I have to imagine, though, that like a dude such as yourself who is experienced and, and successful, like, you know, there's like you had a lot of success. I mean, you had you had a really you had a long minor league career. You put up numbers every year. You were, I mean, constantly like performing. And then so to be that guy with experience, with success, and then to go and like be the guy that's going to keep the clubhouse loose and like be the approachable guy that people can talk to. I mean, I have to imagine that everybody needs somebody like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that that's necessarily like a quality that most guys who have been successful are going to be able to do, you know, in terms of playing both roles. I think it took me more time than I should have. It should have, to be honest with you. I think, I think any player that, especially when I was with the Padre organization, I mean, I was always big on keeping the clubhouse loose and having as much fun as possible but I don't think mentally I was there to be anybody's mentor or be the leader that I really think I needed to be until I, until uh, the next year, it wasn't until 2016 that I really kind of, so after I, after I got to the big leagues, I, uh, I became a free agent. I signed with the Royals. I was the last guy cut. I, I they told, I was kind of told I made, all right. I wasn't kind of told. I was told I made the team and then they, then they changed their mind later in the day. Not, not my favorite day, but it was fine. Because uh, I loved the Royals. They were a great, great organization, really nice people. Uh, and then I went to AAA for them, and it turns out I don't have a spot. So they kind of acknowledged, hey, listen, we kind of we messed up. We're going to try and trade you. They sent me to the Rockies. I was there for 14 days, and they released me after um, Daniel Descalso got healthy. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. I'll sign somewhere right away. And unfortunately, I didn't because it was May 2nd. No one's signing people on May 2nd. No one's releasing people on May 2nd. So it caught me really off guard. So I ended up signing on like June like 15th with the Red Sox. Had to go back to double A. And I was just like, I haven't been in double A in six years. Like, my God, this is a 
quite the fall from grace. Mm-hmm. I went and my goal was just to like, I wanted to, the team was the worst team in baseball at the time, but they had pro- major prospects. The team had 23 wins on July, uh, on June 21st. And I was just like, good Lord. And they had Andrew Benatendi on the team. They had like, they had studs on the team. Yeah. I didn't understand why they were so bad. And I got there and the clubhouse was a little, everyone was just miserable. So I made it my goal to, ha- let, all right, let's make this place fun. And all of a sudden, guys are having fun. And all of a sudden, we're winning. And we're actually winning quite a bit. We almost got back to 500. This was a team that was like 20 and 60 when I showed up. And ended up being a fun year. The only problem with me personally is how much I was struggling uh, with my mental health. I, was, I, I had such anxiety playing baseball. Um, and I'd, I'd never experienced that before. I was walking to the plate. My hands would shake. I was terrified of getting released again. Cause I'm like, if I get released again, it's over. I'm never going to play again. Um, it was something I was terrified of and I played scared. Now I put up some decent numbers, but I knew I, I knew I failed. I knew I played terrible. I hit, ended up hitting 19 home runs on the season, but I hit like two thirty-eight. Mm-hmm. It was in, uh, I had 300 at bats. So there was some salvageable things, but I paid a lot and I just wasn't right. But luckily I, I was really happy because at the end of the season, uh, one of our team, one of my teammates, who was Mauricio Dubon, actually uh, said the most touching thing to me, and it meant the world to me, and it changed my perspective from that point on. He hugged me after the season. I, I, I was internalizing his, uh, just how upset I was, but I, I, but I wasn't showing it to anybody. But he came up to me, and he hugged me. And he's like, "I learned more from you than anybody else. Thank you for this year." And I'm just like, "Oh my God, I need, I needed that. Oh my God, I so needed that." And it changed that one sentence changed my perspective from that point on i made sure the next year when i signed with the mets i had fun and i wanted to keep the clubhouse fun when i signed with the diamondbacks we're gonna have fun guys no matter what we're gonna have fun and i just i i, I would never be presumptuous enough to get me like hey come on i'm gonna take you under my wing because who the hell am i but i some guys kind of let me do it and and then it kind of became standard that that's what i'm gonna do and the my final year signing back with the diamondbacks they even told me we need you to be our crash davis we need you to mentor our young guys and I'm like, you know what? I've already been doing it. And, you know, will I have a chance to get to the big leagues? They kind of said, eh, probably not. And he's like, at, at, at the end of the, se- at the middle of the year, if we're not playing well and we had the choice to call you up and you're playing great or a 22-year-old prospect, we're calling up the 22-year-old prospect. And I said, thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Let's get it done. I, I can't make it to the big leagues from my couch. So let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that's undervalued. And guys, I, I think they don't really like recognize the value that has for, I mean, like you said, being told something like that, I mean, that's something that is, that's significant. Like, that's a big deal for somebody to say that you've left an impact on them or that you've been able to help them out, maybe help them through something that they were going through that you really didn't even realize they were going through. Um, and they learn from you through your struggles, through your, like you said, your anxiety of, of being released. Yeah, it, me- it meant the world to me. It was just, it, it was said to me in the right moment, uh, at the right time, um, in my right state of mind. And it just... I felt relieved. I'm like, oh my God, I did. Maybe I, I wasn't successful in the way I thought I needed to be, no. but I was wrong. I was successful. I was successful in something I didn't even realize I was being successful in. And that, uh, that changed my perspective for the last three and a half years of my career. That's awesome. So you're, okay. So now kind of off of that, mm-hmm. you're, you're last at bat. Oh, man. Which, again, now, I'm, I'm going to say it because two things. One, I went to college in, in Reno and I only hit like 
not even 30 homers in my four years in college. And then when I'd go back and coach there in Reno and see little guys hit homers, I realized that I really wasn't any good at baseball. <laughs> that ball just flies there. And I don't even think at the time I realized how much it flew. Um, but your, your last at bat in Reno, last at bat of your professional career. So, yeah, I remember you said you punched three times, tied the game <sighs> with a base hit, and then ninth inning, walk off. I had- I told the Diamondbacks, I, so here's what happened. I was, I was on the Phantom, and the year before was the, my first time ever on the Phantom, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm the Phantom guy now? Like, that's where I'm at? No. But it was really funny because in 2018, so to just give you the full scope of this, in 2018, I signed with the Diamondbacks. I go to, I go, I, they tell me that I need to be in Jackson, Tennessee, which was not words I wanted to hear out loud, but I'm like, you know what, I'll, that's fine. I'll just go to Jackson. I don't care. And I went there for one day, which they told me I'd be there for a week. I didn't believe them because I would you. And so I just said, all right, let's go to Jackson. And I was there for a day. And I then flew to Reno the next day. And I remember my first game, I homered. The second game, I homered twice and like two doubles. And I was just like, all right, it's good to be back in the PCL again. Because the PCL is my home. At this point, I spent eight years in the PCL. And I, uh, I remember significantly my April was huge. My first April there, I was just killing it. I was leading the Pac-12, not the Pac-12, sorry. I was leading the PCL in home runs, RBIs, and I was hitting 340. Feeling pretty good. I get a phone call, a text from an assistant, the assistant GM who I was good friends with, and he's like, hey, you're in the mix of getting called up. Two days later, I wake up to a phone call, but I didn't recognize the number, so I just went back to bed. And I get a text from the phone, phone number. He's like, it's Mike Bell. Call me back. Mike Bell, the head of, at the time, head of player development. Awesome guy. Mike, Mike Bell. What a guy. And so I call him back, excited. I'm like, let's go. We're finally getting back. And he just calls me. He's like, hey, Cody, I just wanted to let you know. We're calling up Christopher Negron. And I said, great. I love Christopher Negron. Weird that you're telling me this. And he's just like, so I'm waiting for him. And you're going with him. So I'm like, and? and he's like, so we need a shortstop at AAA. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. This is going the complete wrong direction. He's like, so we need your spot. I'm like, no, what? He's like, so we can send you back to Jackson if you want so you can get your bats. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'll, I'll, uh, what's, what injury do I have? Yeah. Uh, I believe it's a high ankle sprain. I'm like, all right, I got a high ankle sprain. That's what it is. So the next year I was on the Phantom and I, you know, I worked, uh, I, I, things were kind of happening and the, you know, radio.com wanted me to retire and uh, the diamondbacks were amazing about it. They flew me to Boston mid season uh, during a, there was a day game. I just called the team. And I just I said, Hey, I know this is off kilter, but I am on the phantom. So just keep that in mind. Is it going to matter? And they said, listen, go ahead and do it. Just don't publicize it. And yes, go fly to, to go do this thing. But I did tell them it was going to be for the off season, not for, I might be retiring in a month i did it things went great i did a tester show it was great and then it was i came back and it turned out the day i left there was a rain out anyway so i honestly missed it, nothing um then uh so flash forward a couple of weeks we have we have a deal in place and i'm sitting here oh my god it's really happening i'm gonna retire and then i also had this offer in el paso texas to be the executive director of a baseball and softball nonprofit. and i fell in love with this city when i played here um they embraced me and, you know, like I said earlier about AAA is, doesn't lend itself to a happy experience all the time. There was not a moment here that I didn't love playing baseball because these fans here just 
they treat this they treat the chihuahuas like they are the new york yankees awesome. nothing is more important than the el paso chihuahuas and it is awesome and i have never played in professional baseball in a city like that and it it really always rejuvenated me every day i went to the field so i took on this job and the radio job at the same time because i can do them both and and i told called the pod not the pod i called the diamondbacks told them i'm gonna hang them up uh, one of my friends who was in the front office tried to talk me out of it. I don't know why. I finally just said, are you planning on calling me up in September? He's like, well, I'm like, that's a no. Like, it's a yes or no question. Are you calling me up in September? He's like, probably not. Then come on, what are we doing? 32, uh, you know, I'm, I haven't been to the big leagues in a while. It's just not going to happen. And I've been on the Phantom. And he's like, well, we were about to take you off the Phantom. Would you like to come off Phantom? Yeah, I'll come off the Phantom. And I remember my first game back, which was this game, my final game. Uh, I told my teammates, I had, we had a meeting the day before the game. Um, I got to tell them all, they were super supportive. They all, we all hugged. And the next day I remember I got to the field and said, do you want to play tonight? I said, yeah, I do. And then I remember my first three at bats. I K'd all three at bats. I hadn't had a bat in a month. And I've been like, Oh God, thank God I'm done with this. I, I, this is not fun. <laughs> and then I remember I came up in the eighth inning with uh, bases loaded two outs and I had no two count. And I'm like, I am not striking out. I don't care what kind of swing I have to put on this ball. This guy ain't kidding me. It ain't happening. I know my timing's all over the place. Hadn't seen anything. I'm just, I'm getting my foot down early. I'm, I'm getting something. Threw me a, hung me a curveball, got out of my front foot, slapped it to the left, tied the game up. We take the lead. And I'm kind of content with myself going, my final at bat was a game tying, bases loaded, two out, mm -hmm. RBI single in the seventh inning. Good. That's a good way to go out. And I'm playing left field. And, I, and I'm, I'm always the first to tell you, I'm not the prettiest left fielder. In the, I'm not the best outfielder in the world. I make every play. I just make them look like shit. Like I could, I could really take 30 steps to a ball that is 10 feet away from where I started. Better than anybody. And they're short steps. I remember I played for John Gibbons when, uh, in San Antonio in AA in 2011. He said, well, if you can understand what John Gibbons says, if you ever met John Gibbons, you know he's not exactly the most um, easy to understand. But it, he used to always say, oh, damn it, Dagger out there. It looks like it just it looks like Fred Flintstone driving a car out there. Guys, it ball, Dagger. It's terrible. Look, you look awful. Look awful. I'm like, did, he get, did I catch the ball, Gibby? He's like, no. Yeah, you did that. All right, I'll go away. <laughs> but uh, so I come up and I go to the outfield in the ninth inning. We got a one-run lead. Jimmy Shurphy's on the mound. Jimmy Shurphy is as sure-handed of a triple-A closer as there is. He's got a decent amount of big league time. And Shurphy gives up a run and then he gives up two and I'm like and I was just pissed off I'm in left field I'm so angry I do not want to lose this game but it's not and I don't I don't know why it must have been because in the back of my head I knew it was the end my my last game but I didn't think it it never crossed my mind at that point all I saw was red I'm like no I'm not losing this game we're not losing this game and then I looked at the lineup card I'm like I'm hitting third next inning whatever someone will get on I'll just walk off and I actually said that out loud which is the weirdest thing because I would never say that and I came in the dugout, and at no point did it cross my mind that this is my last at bat. Their closer was on the mound. Guy throws hard, 97 to 99. I'm like, he's going to throw you a fastball. Get on time. He throws me three bastard sliders. He deserved to get me. I don't care. I'm going to swing through every one of these pitches like it's a fastball, and that is it. He throws hard. Let's go. First pitch, fastball. Fouled it back. And I stepped out of the box and screamed at myself. Uh, we had a runner on first base, by the way. And I'm just like, get on time to the fastball, you stupid son of a bitch. I come back in. I know the catcher just heard me. Probably not going to see a fastball, but I don't care. I'm getting ready for the fastball. I'm, I'm overcommitted, overcommitted. Fastball. 
I absolutely hammered this ball. Just right on time, smoked at the left center field on a line. And my first thought was, and, and it's still, at this moment, it has not crossed my mind that this is my final at bat. I hit it, and my first thought was, let's pimp this. It's a walk-on. <laughs> and here's the thing. I don't pimp home runs, and it's not because I'm against pimping home runs. I think pimping home runs is the best thing in the world. I think everyone should do it. I think people should pimp singles. I, however, am Jewish, and I have no swag <laughs> whatsoever. Just zero, zero swag. So, and also being Jewish, there is that, you know, you know how you, they talk about the devil angel thing uh, on your shoulders. Jewish people don't have that. We have just, we just have our whole ancestry on our shoulders yelling at us for the decisions we're making. And it's just, my first thought was, I'm going to pimp this. And the, like my great uncles on my shoulders, like, what if it's off the wall? What a big shot. Didn't get a double. So I'm like, all right, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go on second ball was 130 feet over the wall and I'm sprinting like it's like it was a single up the middle god I'm the worst but this ball goes over the left field wall and I don't slow down I keep the same speed around in the bases and I, I never did that but I just I'm just so amped up because all I want to do is get the home plate to my teammates who are going crazy and I remember I got there and I start I hugged the first guy then it turned into me hugging another guy and then it turned into I'm having really long hugs and the, fan, the place was packed, and they're giving me a standing ovation, and they don't even know what they're giving me a standing ovation for. Uh, and I'm, the hugs were really, like, emotional. Um, so much so that one of the players on the other team said, well, that's a bit much. And then one of, the, one of my players like, hey, it, it, that, that, he's Brazilian tonight. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, well, get back out there and hug more. Uh, so I bet, but I remember I got in the dugout after all the hugs and the crowd is still going crazy. And I'm, and it hasn't hit, it hasn't still hasn't really hit me that I'm done. I get my, I take off my elbow guard, put in my helmet and my batting gloves on my helmet. And I put my helmet on my helmet rack. And right when I put the helmet in the helmet rack, that's when I paused. And I just went, holy, holy shit. This is the last time I've ever putting my helmet in this helmet rack. I've done this 3000 times and I'm never going to do this again. Wow. And I looked to my right and it was um, Johnny Gums. He was our outfield coordinator. He was there that day. And uh, <laughs> I, I think Johnny liked me enough. I don't know if he loved me. I think that I've been, dis I've been called a poor man's Johnny Gums and a poor man Kevin Millar so many times that I think they've heard it enough that yeah. they just decided, you know what? We don't like him. Not, not a fan. Yeah. But <laughs> me and Johnny got along great every time. And I love Johnny Gums. I just love the guy. And I remember I looked to my right and Johnny was standing there just staring at me almost weirdly, but he's staring at me and I just go, Johnny, I'm retiring tonight. And he's like, I know this is awesome. And he just grabbed the bat out of my hand and he ran away. I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I lost that bat. <laughs> and then I start to go into the clubhouse and the guys grabbed me and literally picked me up and threw me on the field um, to get a standing ovation from the crowd. And my whole team was in the dugout. Give me, I didn't realize the whole team accumulated in there from the, the, the bullpen in right field. And they all gave me a standing ovation. And uh, I, I immediately started to tear up I'm like, Oh my God, what is happening? Um, I remember I got in the dugout and uh, one of my teammates bought me a one gallon. Cause I'm also a big fan of tequila as well. He bought me a one gallon Don Julio and Yeho <laughs> bottle of tequila. It was this big, just huge. And he's like, well, you're going to be good on tequila for the next year, buddy. He's like, thank you for everything you've done in your career. I'm like, thanks so much. Well, that night after the game, they got me a cake 
uh, that said happy retirement Decker. They didn't expect obviously to hit a walk up home run, but right away that player went to my locker, grabbed the gallon and just said, it ain't lasting a year. It ain't lasting tonight. Throws it on the thing. Everyone took shots and they all gave me speeches. Like, I mean, uh, and the one that really hit me the hardest was Travis Snyder, who was my teammate. Now, I, I played with Travis in the Mets organization, Diamondbacks organization, and the Royals organization. He's one of my favorite teammates of all time. And uh, Travis said something that just, I just immediately kind of couldn't hold it together. Again, I could talk all day. And I just, they, get, they just said, he asked me to give a speech. I just said, you're the best group of players I've ever spent the field with. I need to stop talking and drink this tequila before I cry. And I don't want that to be your last memory of me. And so we just all did the shot and we went to a restaurant that night and we stayed out till three and just all, it was just a lot of hugging and a lot of friends. Just, it was special. It was the most special evening of my life. I'll never forget it. I will, it just, it'll, it'll, it'll never be topped. I mean, it's incredible. It's great. Like everybody, I think would dream of ending their career where they walk off home run, mm -hmm. you know, and then not only that, but now you're, you're hearing from your teammates about the impact you've left on them. And those guys, like you, you had an impact on their career, on their life. Like that's huge. Like that's such a big deal. In addition to the fact that you just had a walk off and mm -hmm. like, that's it. And it like was you said, something. It, it was something. It's incredible. It was, it was a really, really nice moment. Um, uh, I, I, I'll never, every one of those guys, I'll, I'll never forget what, what, how they made me feel that night. They made me feel like I, you know, you, you spend enough time being told you're Crash Davis. I mean, does anyone remember the ending of Bull Durham? It's not an uplifting ending. No. It's, it's about as sad as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> and he finished his career with a home run. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it was, it, it, I don't know, it was bittersweet, but it was more, far less bitter than sweet. Yeah. It was special. It really was. Now was, so you, when you announced your retirement, you were in El Paso, right? Mm -hmm. like, so was that because of day. your, so that was, was that more because of your, was that just the timing or was that because, you know, you wanted to announce it in El Paso? I, I wanted to announce it in El Paso. Yeah. Um, I, I was coming in there and I have, I still, I still have a wonderful relationship with the El Paso Chihuahuas. They decided to put together a press conference for me. I was going to announce what I was going to be doing in El Paso. And my whole goal is to change how baseball has developed in El Paso. Um, El Paso is very much, has been very much stuck in the dark ages when it comes to baseball development and training. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of skinny kids, a lot of skinny kids, like no one's seen a weight room before. And so we're, we're, you know, I brought uh, along with me, Joe Bimel and Brent Dean from Bimel Elite Athletics. They're my, some of my best friends. They wanted to come and join me in this adventure over here. And so they expanded over here at our facility and they're helping training our college prep academy and helping training their, their own players. And it's just the, the amount of six, I've never realized how much I was going to enjoy the success that a 16 year old kid is experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, I never realized how much that was going to mean to me seeing a kid. We have a kid who is a senior who never pitched harder than 63 miles per hour. And he's now throwing 80 uh, in just seven months of training, reworking his mechanics, building his scaps, fix, fixing all his physical deficiencies. And the excitement that I saw on his face when he threw 80 miles per hour made me feel like I just accomplished the greatest thing of my life. Mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't, and just, he could, might be able to play after 18 now. You know, that's just, that is awesome. And I always tell kids, if you play after the age of 18, that is an accomplishment. You have no idea what an accomplishment that is. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter where it is, junior college, NAIA, I don't care. 
a, a, a summer ball team. If you're playing after 18, you can play. Yeah. I think it's awesome. You know, my, when I, I coach at the University of New Mexico, and one of our coaches that was there used to be the head coach at El Paso Community College. And he always talked, yeah. he always said that there was talent there. He's like, it's just it's kind of the same thing. There's, they're either underdeveloped or there's just not the resources there. So mm-hmm. I think when you decide that you're going to be there and you bring other guys and you're implementing technology and you have a nice facility, you know, obviously that's a place where kids can go to improve. And then, like you said, when you have coaches that care, that like want to see guys get better, that it's important to see them get better. Like there is nothing better than that. Like there's yeah. nothing better than seeing your guys that you've worked with improve and just the pure joy that they get out of improving and knowing they put in the work to get that, that improvement. It really is incredible. And also I get to, I also have the opportunity to work with them and letting them know, listen, I was a kid that was really sought after in high school. I, I, I led the state, state of California in home runs twice when I was in high school, but I didn't sign to UCLA until I had two weeks left of my senior year. But it wasn't because they didn't want me. I was just between five schools. I didn't know where I was going to go. Was I going to go to USC, LMU, ASU, U of A? I was literally between these all the way through. And I decided to go to UCLA because I knew it would hurt USC the most. That's honestly why I did it. I did it for vindictive reasons. But it worked out great because I always crushed USC. And my vindictiveness (laughs) was just spot on. Uh, But I, I, I want them to know that even in pro ball, and pro ball can be... Pro ball is amazing, but it can be ugly. It can be very ugly. Um, college is the same thing. And I would actually go as far to say that college can be uglier, sure. especially the recruiting world of college. You're going to be promised everything under the sun. None of it's real. It's all lies. And it's not because they're trying to lie to you. They believe it when they say it. But yeah. when they leave you, they're going to say the same thing to another kid. And there might be a chance that both you kids are both there. And neither of you are getting the job you were promised, at least not for the first two years. And so it's very easy for kids to be discouraged when they go to college because they've never experienced this. I was the star at high school. Yeah, so were the other 40 kids on your team. Now you got to grind it all out again and prove it all over again. It's going to take you a couple of years. And it it could be ugly and it's daunting. I want them prepared for it. And I I think what's most important is not to crush their dreams, but to make sure they're aware of the pitfalls that are ahead of them. Uh, so they don't make the mistakes that I made. So they don't have the assumptions going to college that I had foolishly as a 18 year old kid. Oh, I'll, I'm going to start my freshman year and lead the pack in homers. And no, you're not. What are you no. talking about? Well, Spencer Torkelson or Torkerson, that guy's a monster. Well, yeah, he did. It, but I mean, I mean, you can count on one hand of those guys that do it. You know, of, of my recruiting class, my freshman year, only two guys really started all the time. Yeah. One was our catcher. The other was Brandon Crawford. And I never heard of him. Mm-hmm. But he seems to be doing okay now okay. still. Yeah, just yeah, he, yeah, he's doing all right. So, so you get – so you're done with – done playing. Like, you know you're going to start working with kids in the El Paso area. Mm-hmm. You got a facility going up. And then now you've got your radio show, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not at the moment. At the moment, my, uh, my contract just ended a week ago. So keep your eyes peeled, though. We'll, I'll, yeah. I'll let everybody know where, where, where's next. But there's, it, it's going to be exciting. It's going yeah. so to be an interesting month, hopefully. Yeah. Who knows? My, everything might backfire, and <laughs> I might be doing absolutely nothing in a month. It sure. could happen. I'm a, you know, it's a crazy world we're in right now. Have you, have you or would you coach like at a professional level or college baseball? 
would love to would absolutely love to um i had i've turned down a lot i've turned down some pretty cool jobs yeah uh and it's and it wasn't because the jobs weren't great uh i i've been offered a double a manager job twice mm -hmm. i've been offered uh, a rookie level several times i've been offered a high a job my reasoning for not wanting to do it was always listen i just grinded it out for 11 years mostly in the minors i'm just not into the idea of starting my minor league career all over again. Sure. Um, my, my dream job ever since I was a little kid was to be a big league manager. But now, based on how big league managers are hired, what's the route now? Yeah. I can't tell it. It's, I mean, there's more managers being hired now that have zero experience yeah. than have 20 years of experience. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a really weird time for baseball. It seems like as long as you can work PowerPoint, you could manage a baseball team at this point. And guess what? I learned PowerPoint when I was eight. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a weird time. It's a weird it's a weird path. I don't know that there's right or wrong. Um, I don't know that people are necessarily rewarded for the work they've done, the, their body of work. It may just be um, if they're able to show the aptitude and the current trends, and because of that, they're they're rewarded. And right, wrong, otherwise, I mean that's just where we're at. So, you know. and it's funny because you mentioned current trends. If you if you're on Twitter and you're a baseball guy, you know that you're in the midst of a civil war when it oh. comes to baseball knowledge and data. Oh. And it's sad because I like a lot of people on both sides of this argument. Yeah. There's a lot of people on one particular side that I don't like, <laughs> but I can't stress this enough. Numbers are not your enemy. They just are not. They're so applicable, they're very important. But I do hate the phrase data-driven. That's my least favorite phrase in baseball. Because I think if anybody's that's data-driven as baseball is horrifically misguided. Mm -hmm. I think you, everyone should be data-informed. Sure. I think every single person should know every ounce of data that's available to them and make an informed decision based on what your eyes are telling you. Because yeah. the data does not include human elements. You know your players better. You know your players. Your players know your players. Mm -hmm. Now take those numbers and apply them. Yeah, totally agree. I try to stay as like Switzerland as possible on that uh, because there's, you know, we, we use numbers. Everybody uses mm -hmm. numbers and, and numbers have been used forever. And like mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's gotten to this just extreme for, and I don't know that it's necessarily as bad in the organizations that, that social media makes it out to be. Mm -hmm. I think when people talk like launch angle on social media, like I've never actually heard that term used in one of our cages. No. It's because, you know, launch, you know, launch angle is my favorite thing to talk about because of this weird argument. Because I, I think Fred McGriff was on MLB Network the other day, and he actually did a great thing. And where you just want, he's like, I just want to remind you all, launch angle doesn't happen until after contact. It's not a swing. It's a result. Yes, it's a result. It's not a swing. A hitter can manipulate a launch angle, but not that much. I mean, you really can't. I mean, it's just a matter of depth of how, how deep you hit the baseball. Well, then when, when people start talking about teaching a swing for a specific launch angle, it's like, dude, you don't even know where the pitch is going to be. Like, so okay, is he throwing a fastball down the middle every single time? Right. I got to tell you, I'd love to play this game. For sure. 
if a dude's going to like a 12-6 breaking ball over the plate that's at the bottom of the knees, your swing is going to be different than the 98 with run at the top of the – Every single – and I, it's funny. I give this example all the time when I'm working with hitters, and it's my favorite, it's my favorite example. And, I, and, and I, I know – and I, I also know this. This drives me nuts because I've become the guy that I always made fun of. <laughs> I always made fun of him. Like, uh, Sean Barry was an old hitting coach of mine. Sean Barry was our hitting coordinator, and I love Sean Barry. He's such a great guy. And he's a good coach too. But Sean Barry always turned his hitting lessons into when I was playing in Houston. <laughs> it always ended that way. It always, always. It, you know, when I was in Houston, I was part of you know I was part of the original Killer Bees. I'm like, no, you were not. Your last name started with a B. You were on the team. Stop it. No one said Biggio Bagwell Barry. Not a person in Earth said that. Not a thing. But, I love the guy so much, but Barry, uh, he always used to do that. And now I'm that guy. I'm cause I'll, I always, cause that's, that's what you need to do. You need to give personal examples to explain your points sometimes. Yeah. So it, it helps. Uh, so I always give an example of my guys, the worst swing I've ever taken in my career, probably the very worst swing was also the best swing I have ever taken in my career. Mm-hmm. I had an bat and that sticks with me that I think about all the time in 2013 where I was playing in Tucson in front of 400 people uh, because no one came to Keno Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll never forget it. This pitcher who has just had my number, carved me the first at bat with heat, didn't even, didn't even need his off-speed pitches. I just, for whatever reason that day, I was just in between pitches. Um, and so first pitch, swung mile late. Second pitch, fastball, mile late. But I guess what he saw was that I fouled it directly back. So in his eyes, he thought I foul tipped it. My bat was barely past my shoulder, and I think it hit my barrel, grazed it as I swung that late. Like, I was a mile late. So I'm like, okay, listen, I've seen nothing but fastballs today. I'm not on time. He's throwing me a fastball. Let's get on time to this damn fastball. I was on time. Problem was, he threw me the filthiest changeup I had ever seen in my life. Right on right, centered, under the glove, just a little on the outside half. And I don't know why. It must be because I had my foot down early and I was just seeing it okay because I was so early that all of a sudden I get on my front side and just start to drift, which I never would do. My back foot comes off the ground and kicks back, and I just flick the ball like this. And I do not even my, – my barrel doesn't get past this. It doesn't get past maybe – one foot past the plate of my contact point. And I barreled it, smoked it, and it was 107 off the bat, line drive, one hop the right center wall, and my bat, at my end of my swing was just right in front of me, and I'm running down the line, and it's like my arm locked up, and I couldn't let go of the bat or my arm, and I was just running down the line like this with my arm fully extended, laughing hysterically, going, oh, my God, what did I just do? I ended up having a stand-up triple, and I was just like, that's the worst and best thing I've ever done in my career. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you can't hit, like, if you need your A swing to always hit, I feel like you're going to have have some difficulties. It's going to be a tough, tough career, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that is tough. Well, we've got we to get to some, some whiskey. We I mean, really do. We really, really do. I finished up my whistle pig. I didn't want to be rude and pour my, my whistle pig when I was. I finished up my Napogue Castle. Of course, right. we already talked a little bit about my small batch four roses. You know how much I love that. But you know what? I think we should bust out the special guy. Yeah, I would really like that because I want to hear I want to hear a little bit about. And I, yeah. So talk a little bit about what you've got, what your special one is. 
All right, this one is very special. This is called Abasolo. So hopefully you can see it right there. Mm -hmm. Abasolo is one of the few Mexican whiskeys. Now, I didn't know about its existence until a week ago. Mm. So the only Mexican whiskey I've ever known about is a company called Sierra Norte. Sierra Norte is uh, a, a mezcal distillery in Oaxaca that I guess the head distiller, the, how the story was told to me was the head uh, tequila distiller just got tired of making mezcal. Didn't want to make mezcal anymore. He wanted to make whiskey. So he didn't change any of the equipment, none of the pipes, none of the barrels, kept all the same mezcal everything except now he's just going to make whiskey with their cornfields. So they have a yellow bottle, a white bottle, all of the color corn, red corn, black corn, really smoky, by the way. But the yellow corn is like the most unique whiskey I've ever drinking. It's almost has like a floral pattern to it. It's like you're drinking roses. Now, if you drink the black bottle, the black corn bottle, you are drinking a forest fire. It's really good. Yeah. But you you better be ready for some pepper because you wow. are you are biting into one gigantic piece of black pepper. This, wow. however, I went to a restaurant and I and I was just talking. I, I was eating dinner um, at a, at this uh, local restaurant in El Paso. It was completely empty. That's why I like going there. Mm-hmm. And I was we were just kind of talking about whiskey. I wasn't having a drink. I was just waiting for my food to go. And he's a whiskey expert, and I always like to fancy myself a fairly decent, I wouldn't say expert, but a, a decent connoisseur that really loves his whiskey. And we start talking about a Mexican whiskey, and he's like, oh my God, goodness, let me tell you, one second, he goes in the back and comes out literally with a cup, uh, but not like a, a glass cup, more like a container for a to-go soup. And it just said on the cover, Abasolo whiskey, Mexican. And he hadn't gotten the bottle yet. He's like, I want you to taste this. So he poured me one and I took a sip and I just lost my mind. I'm like, that is not whiskey. That is melted butterscotch. That's, that's candy. I've never tasted a whiskey like this in my life. What kind of proof? It was delicious. This is, uh, well, let's take a look. Uh, copper pot distilled, ancestral corn whiskey. Um, let's see, El Whiskey de Mexico, 100% ancestral corn. It is 43% alcohol, 86 proof. So I have always been a big fan. I don't have any Glen Cairn glasses here, sadly. So I'm going with one large uh, sphere. You got, there's one on, your, on the way, or two on the way to you. Oh, thank you. I, I have some in LA. That, that's for sure, yeah, my yeah. whiskey bar. But here it is. Uh, I'm going to take a sip. Allow me to give you my review. And let's see if it still tastes like butterscotch. Yeah, I want you to enjoy this. That is pure butterscotch. My goodness, that's good. I gotta find it. I I, I, you gotta get your hands on this because if for no other reason that it is, I've never tasted a whiskey like this. That's nuts. And I, I need to see. I've always gone like I always go the bourbon. I always go the Irish whiskey. Um, I haven't done the Canadian. I've got one of the Caribou Crossing, which is fine. Um, Could I make a Canadian suggestion for you? Please do. You said you've gotten into rye lately. Yes. My so if I had to put a list of my favorite whiskeys, uh, number one is Napo Castle. No, mm-hmm. I don't care which one. The twelve would be number one. Yeah. Um, number two probably Nika Coffee Grain. Yeah. Okay. I just love that. It's just it's delicious. And number three is probably a bottle of Pendleton 1910. Okay. It is also the biggest bargain in all of whiskey really? because that bottle is thirty dollars and it should be seventy dollars. It is so good. It's like you're drinking a 
it's like you're drinking a chocolate milkshake a little bit. It's like a dessert whiskey. And I remember this very wholeheartedly. I always, uh, my wife and I, we always throw a, a Christmas Eve party. We throw a Christmas Eve onesie party. So two years ago, coming over to our house, we had a couple of ball players coming over because, of course, I, all my friends are ball players. So uh, I'm going to name drop. Why not? Um, so I had Lucas Giolito and Max Fried over, who I've known since they were little kids. I used to give Lucas hitting lessons. And Lucas sits down with my buddy who's bartending that night for us at our, at our thing. And he's a whiskey expert. And he just goes, Lucas, what do you have? He's like, I, I like whiskey. And he just goes, sit down. Goes, <laughs> goes, goes and the thing pulls out this night. He's like, what's this? He's like, you're going to drink this. You will never drink anything again. Drinks it, hands it to him. The look on Lucas's face, he ran outside to tell me. He's like, why have you not told me of this nectar of the gods? I'm like, I'm sorry. I should have told you sooner. He's like, oh, my God. Two days later, I get a call. I bought four bottles. Really? <laughs> I'm like, good. That's good. Like, that thirty dollar, like that thirty dollar price point, is like the kind of the the sweet spot because they can either they can go one way or the other. Like, buddy of mine asked me to review Basil Hayes, and I did. Love it. Love it. Good, good stuff. I just it's fine for thirty dollars, but then yes. the next day I see it at the store for fifty dollars. I'm mm -hmm. out. Like no chance. Zero percent chance I would spend that money. I'd rather honestly. If I had the choice between, and, and this is crazy. Remember we talked about Jack Daniels earlier? If I had the choice between buying a $30 Basil Hayden or a $19 just simple Jack Daniels, old number seven, every I'm going with the Jack Daniels every single time. I'm going Old Forester 100 for $18. Every time. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's where people that are trying to get into bourbons and whiskeys, that's where they confuse it. Like the, the, the price isn't necessarily an indicator of the quality. It's more the rarity of it. And so... When you get that $30 price point, like you can go either way. There's so many good bottles under 30 bucks. Oh, yes. Like, like the um, Russell's Reserve 10-year. That's my go-to every day. Like I love that bottle. So $30, so Pen was it Pendleton 1910? Like that's Pendleton 1910, I believe. Now, don't, don't quote me on this one, but I believe it's one of, it's one of their higher-end bottles. Hmm. But regular Pendleton's delicious. And by the way, that 1910 is a rye, and it's a yeah. good one. So, so I haven't, so I got to try the Mexican one because I've not had, like, I've got Hibiki, I've got yeah. the Caribou Crossing. I just haven't, I haven't jumped into like other whiskeys outside of bourbon, Irish whiskey. And I haven't gotten into scotch either because I just got that Ardbeg Wee Beastie, mm -hmm. five-year-old scotch. And it tastes like you're licking a campfire, you know, <laughs> like a bonfire pit. They can so do that. It's not, it's not that bad, but when you know it's coming, you're like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, you just got to prepare yourself. Don't, don't, don't be, if you're going to say, hey, taste this and it's Ardbeg, you better just let me know it's Ardbeg because I, I will immediately cough and spit it out. And I don't want to spit it out. No. You got to prepare me. That's all I'm asking. But a, a little heads up would be nice. Because, <laughs> so, so I'm a big Teeling fan. Randomly, like on Facebook, they, they were, um, there was like a Teeling tasting. So I invited myself. I thought that was the natural thing to do. And so is that not an appropriate thing to do? That's what I, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm there. So, yeah. so I do this like healing thing. And so I met a guy on there who's like a brand ambassador and just a phenomenal human. Like this guy is the best. And he sent me some bottles that, that he's found. So I've got one coming to me. It's called the black pits and it's named after the area behind the distillery in Dublin. So the last two years we went to Ireland, not 2020 didn't go so well. We went 19 and 18 
went to Dublin, worked with Ireland's national team, had an absolute blast, did the That's distillery awesome. tours. It, it, badass, right? Wait, wait, time out, time out. Did you, just, did you just sneakily tell me how I'm going to Ireland to yeah. get free stuff? Yes. I, just, I have to just go and teach a national team for a day or two? Yeah. You got it. I'm in. Give me the number. I will do this. <laughs> I'll stay for a week and coach anyone you want as long as I get to tourist places. So, so we go, so, so Frank, this dude from Teeling is like the best guy. So he sends me a, uh, a little box with their, uh, their Trinity. It's their, their small batch, single malt, single grain, and then the black picks. And he said, this is like something you've never tasted before. And you smell it and it smells like a barbecue. Like it's just, it's a straight barbecue. And then you take a sip and there's no smoke to this sip. Like it's the weirdest thing in the world. And the aftertaste, you get a little bit more smoke. It's like, okay, this is the most interesting bottle of whiskey I've ever tried in my life. So like, it was so awesome. But like you said, that, that Ardbeg and some of those Isla scotches, like, man, I don't know. They just get a little, Isla, they, they get a little. They're, little, they're strong. Yeah. Very peaty, very yeah. smoky. Um, I do like a peaty whiskey or a peaty scotch on occasion. I, I do have a few of them, but I, I try not to uh, dive into, I always end up with my same couple of bottles. Yeah. I love the collection, um, but I, I always end up drinking normally like the same five bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I find myself doing that where I go buy a bottle because I hear it's good and then I try it. Like I've got kind of a price point where if I've not tried it, I'm not buying it because mm -hmm. the, like I've had other bottles where I've spent more money than I really wanted to. And then you try it and you're like, this is super underwhelming. Like I'm not. Do you have anything that's a regret? Do you have any bottle that you were just so excited for that you ended up being like, oh, what a waste? This is a weird one. But and it, it, it is a waste because of what it took. So I have the Old Forester 1920, mm -hmm. and a lot of people love it, and it's super highly talked about. Everybody likes it, and, and I get it. The problem was, like, when you smell it, it's really sweet. It's really, like, fruity. It's got a really nice nose, and then you take a sip, and it's 115 proof, and until you get, until you get like, a little bit of air in there, it honestly tasted like a chewed-up Band-Aid. It was gross. I honestly hated it. I wanted to dump it out. And I'm like, I'm just going to give it time because everybody seemed to love it. It was, I kept trying it, but it was until like I was halfway through the bottle where I was like, okay, this is actually a pretty good bottle, but I had to drink half of it. So for a $50 bottle where you have to drink half of it for it to be good, I would say is like my, like, I'm not really in on it. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing what I know, I would probably just slow it down, maybe open it, get some air circulating in it and then enjoy it. But that was probably the one where I was the most disappointed just based off what I had heard about it. I, uh, I, I luck, luckily have not spent something on something where I was like, oh, what a, what a complete waste. Yeah. But there have been a few that I've been disappointed in that I really was kind of expecting a little bit more. Maybe it was like the, the honestly, the, the, I mentioned it already. It's uh, Redbreast 15 is just a name like Redbreast should not put out pure gasoline that is Redbreast 15. Oh. It's just... I know I could start my car with that thing. I know it. Um, but uh, I got a separate question for you. What is something that's not in your collection that you would just love to have? Because I have an empty bottle in my collection that I cherish so much that it's actually on my shelf above my bar, but I don't have any more of it. And that's what makes me sad. And it's a very rare Middleton small batch. Oh, yeah. I have no other bottles of Middleton and I want another bottle of Middleton so bad. So guys, 
next Christmas or Hanukkah, I'm right here. One. We'll leave the address to get some Middleton send out. Okay. Come on. So I had, I'd done a, um, um, well, we sent some samples through a postal service that you're not supposed to send through. And we did that. And a, a buddy of mine sent me the, is it Napogue Castle? Napogue Castle, my number one whiskey. That's your go-to. But he sent me the 16. And it's not rare. Like, you can find it. Mm-hmm. Just haven't, I haven't seen it at, like, the local stores right is around. Is that the maroon label? I don't know. I, he sent me a little sample of it, and it was outstanding. Oh, it's so right. good, isn't it? And I just said, this is, this is incredible. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't care about the Pappy, uh, the BTAC. Like, of course, if somebody said you can get that at, at cost at MSRP, I'm in. But when you see it for four times, like, what the suggested retail price is, there's no chance. I want to take back one thing I said. There okay. is a bottle. There's an American bottle that I want my list. And it took you saying Pappy for me to think of it, but it's not Pappy. I think Pappy's most overrated whiskey in the history of earth. Everybody says. That price point is like, what, what are you talking about? I wouldn't pay $10 for this. No. However, George T. Stagg is really, really good. Oh my goodness, do I want that bottle. Yep. That is... Um, the Eagle Rare 17. I'm gonna. I'll throw that. I'll throw that as my Great White Buffalo. The Eagle Rare 17. I've never had the 17. No, and they just put out a 20 year, and I don't know if it's the decanter that's so cool that I want it, but I do want the 20 year Eagle Rare because I think Eagle Rare is outstanding. Thirty dollar bottle, like Eagle Rare is great. Oh, it's great. It's a great, great bourbon. It's I, I, I have I have like a list of these American bourbons that I feel like are right on par with each other. It's Eagle Rare. Angel's Envy, and a couple, not all of them, but a couple of Elijah Craig's. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Elijah Craig's Small Batch, I could drink that all day. That's okay. great stuff. 24 bucks. I mean, like the last, the, the C920, I go get the barrel proof, and I try it out. And I look at the thing, I'm like, hmm, like 134 proof. I'm like, that's going to be a little warm. And I took a sip, and it was just, I mean, like, well, we're just showing off at that point. We're just showing off. <laughs> I can make the highest proof bottle of bourbon ever made. <laughs> and I'm like, and it, was, it was tasty, but I, I don't normally put ice or water in it, but I had to put it in the 133 or 134 proof. It did open it up and give some really nice flavors, but dude, like it was so hot. Like, I can't oh, yeah. do this. That no, proof, I mean, any, anytime you're drinking a whiskey that you could, you know, take a lighter and just set that thing on fire, you're going to be warm for the night. You're yeah. not, you're not going to be cold. There's a, so I, what I do love is I found my, my little honey hole out here in uh, West Phoenix. There's a Walmart and I found four bottles of Blanton's Weller special reserve, Weller 12, all at like MSRP. I got two bottles of Weller 12 for 32 bucks. Okay. I haven't been flying between LA and uh, I've been driving from yeah. El Paso to LA and I drive through Phoenix every single time. Could you give me the address of this Walmart? Because this is a magical mythical place. Past my house. It's the next exit. It's Watson and Buckeye. And there's a Walmart there and they've got a, it, it's legit. Like they've got some really good stuff out there. This is the greatest Walmart in the world. I will be there. I will, I will stop by Buckeye. I will get me everything I need. I, I know Phoenix way too well. For a guy that never technically lived in Phoenix, I have – I did the math, by the way. I did the math in my baseball career because I only had uh, spring trainings in Phoenix. I completely oh, wow. avoided Florida uh, somehow. Yeah. I just managed to avoid it. But I have managed to spend three full years of my life in Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix, but never lived here. 
never lived there, but I spent three full years there. Uh, that's a lot of time in Phoenix. So I know Phoenix all too well. I mean, especially West Phoenix. Yeah. There, so, okay. So when, so you played winter ball in Mexico, right? I in Culiacan twice and once in Guadalajara. And it wasn't until I played in Guadalajara that I started to appreciate tequila. So actually when I do drink, I drink more tequila now yeah. than I do whiskey. I like whiskey more, mm-hmm. but I could drink it. And I don't get drunk very often. I really don't. I, not especially not anymore. But if I drank five bottles of tequila tonight, I could wake up tomorrow and feel nothing. Yeah. That's what actually initially got me on board with tequila. I'm like, oh my goodness, no hangovers. I love this. We're not talking Cuervo. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not drinking the well tequila. If you're drinking the well tequila, go ahead and just grab an ice pick and just jam it in your temple. Dave's tequila. No, no. I drink good and good and, and yehos, which are much more, they're aged. So they actually have a much more whiskey finish to them. Um, so I've been taking all my friends who are huge whiskey guys. and I've been kind of converting them a little bit to tequila. It's kind of teaching them about tequila. Cause I spent the last like three years learning about tequila mm-hmm. and man, I didn't realize how cool tequila actually is and how the different flavors, the different tastes, all the, all the things they put in, not unlike whiskey. Cause you know, I, I, the last thing of whiskey I purchased was a thing it was a jack daniels thing it was there it was all their selects oh yeah, yeah. um and it's a really cool little package I, I i got it as a gift in uh in for christmas so i you know i love the single barrel select i think that's the best thing jack daniels makes with the exception of the sinatra select sure. which i think is one of my favorite whiskeys but the single barrel select their single barrel rye select and um their jack daniel gold select these are really really good um, but I remember looking at them and they gave you a chart for each one of them, exactly the flavors and the percentage of the flavors per these whiskeys. Here's how much maple you're getting. Here's how much vanilla. Here's how much charcoal. Like it's like that much. It's very detailed. It's very cool little charts. In fact, I think I have the charts over here. It, it's really, it's tequila has the same tasting patterns like that, which is really cool to me. It's funny. Cause like I never, I'd never got into tequila. I think as you know, when I was younger, I'll tell you where it was. I know for a fact it was because I was at Brew Brothers in Reno and the Silver Legacy, and I had tequila, and I never drank it again. Now, I will tell you this. This is before I even played in Reno. No good things have ever happened at Brew Brothers in Reno. (laughs) In the history of Earth. Nope. Nothing positive. You, you, if you walk into brew, and I've been to brew others too many times, and, and it's not even drinking. I've no. gone there just for lunch because you stay in the Silver Legacy when you're an opposing player at the, in the PCL. You're gonna go to the Brew Brothers. Mm-hmm. You're gonna leave with a story. You don't know what it's gonna be. Something's gonna happen. And at some point, you're gonna walk by because you have to. But you're gonna walk by Rumbolians also, and you're gonna hit the dueling pianos. And, uh, and that's not, my wife and I both went to college in Reno. She was there. She stayed there a while longer after, after college. I just, I left after college. Six years was enough for me, but I I couldn't, uh, I like going back to Reno, but my God, that little area between the circus circus, silver legacy and El Dorado is, is, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll admit, uh, you know, when I first got to AAA, I was 24 years old. There were a couple of nights where I did crawl. Yes. But from Circus Circus all the way to Silver Legacy. Not proud of it, but it, you know, it but happened. Over the little uh, walkway that goes over the street. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the worst part is there's steps. So I had to crawl up the steps, too. Oh. But I'll tell you what's funny. Like, so you mentioned tequila. So my, my old roommate, 
played baseball for a long time, played in the big leagues, played in, uh, in Japan. He got into tequila and he gave me a couple of, of, of the higher end type ones and they were really good, but I don't think people realize that those really good tequilas taste nothing like, you know, your standard, even like Patron or, or Cuervo, like nothing, they taste nothing like that. Oh, and by the way, anyone that tells you, oh, high end, let's go top shelf Patron. No, no, no. Patron is, Patron is not good not at all. all. Um, but there is a tequila that I always tell people to try. Always. If you're, if you're a whiskey fan, if you're anything fan, if you drink this tequila, you will love it. It's not just put it on, put it on the rocks or put it with like a big spear or drink it neat because mm -hmm. it's fruity and sweet. Um, Herodura, and I hate how I say it. I know I say it as, as American and white as I possibly can because I cannot roll R's to save yeah. my life. Grew up in Santa Monica, Santa Monica California. My, my, my high school, Santa Monica High School, is like 80% Mexican. I never learned a word of Spanish. I'm, like, I'm never going to need this. Played in Mexico three times. I needed it. I really, my big regret is never learning Spanish. Um, but man, oh man, if you try Herradura Ultra Añejo, Okay. you'll be hooked. You'll never, it's a $45 bottle. You'll never want to drink anything else. It is just perfect, easy, smooth, sweet. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. But like you said, it's nothing like no. you go, like a, you get a tequila. If you get a margarita, you're getting regular. Oh yeah. Well, tequila, cause you're masking it. But if you're going to drink tequila, you got to have something good. That we had, when I was coaching junior college, we decided one year we were going to save all of our bottles and cans to recycle for my buddy's birthday that was on Cuatro de Mayo. And we were going to buy the nicest bottle of tequila we could find. So we bought, we saved up, we drank enough that year that we bought a bottle of the Classe Azul. And great bottle. Great was, bottle. Like that was my first experience with like really good tequila. Way different than anything else I'd had. And then I tried the 1932 and I don't know if I, I liked it, but I don't know. I like it. I don't know if it's like, is it just kind of amped up because it's- It's one of those, it's like Patron that yeah. they've convinced people that this is a high-end bottle. It's a good bottle. It's fine. It's a nice extra in Yeho. I'm not a big Don Julio fan, to be honest. Okay. Um, but like, if you're looking for like a really high-end, uh, I have a bottle of, again, Herradura. Uh, I have a bottle of Herradura, um, uh, not a special, what is it called? Uh, traditional? No. It, well, it's their, it's their highest end bottle. It's a, it's an amazing bottle. Okay. Uh, it says it's an extra añejo. It is Suprema. Mm. Suprema. Yes. I have a bottle of this and boy, oh boy, it comes in a leather case. You have to open the doors for it. And in there is the most beautiful bottle of the best tequila you'll ever drink in your life. I have literally tasted it one time and I refuse to open it okay. again until I have a reason. Cause it's, yeah. my teammate in Mexico sent it to me as a gift. He sent it to me as a retirement gift. Nice. It's a little cheaper to buy it in Mexico than it is here. You buy it here. It's like a $500 bottle down there. It cost them 300 pesos. A little different. The conversion yeah. works in their favor there. Yes. But I'll tell you, it's funny though. Like when, so I went to, I was in Germany. I spent three months in Germany coaching over there years ago and, you know, drinking nothing but beer and it was outstanding. And when you get home and you have a Bud Light, it's just not the same as drinking German beer. You know, like now I did, I managed to, I managed to drink it, but it wasn't anywhere close to being the same as what you have there. So I have to imagine like if you get a good tequila in, in Mexico, it probably is similar to the idea of drinking good beer in, in Germany. 
And yeah, it's funny. We're doing so much talking about alcohol. And we, if, if somebody would like look in and be like, oh my God, these alcoholics. No, like, I, I, I don't like getting drunk at all. I like having no. a couple of drinks. Yeah. I love sipping it. I love talking about it and having a conversation about the experience of it. Yeah. I, it's a true, true hobby of mine. It's really something I kind of cherish. No doubt. It's, and, it, and I like introducing people to new bottles also. Like friends will come over and, and, and I've probably been accused of this where people will come over and I'll be like, Hey, try this, try this, try this. Like you have to try these different things because they're outstanding. You know, you, you need to get on your podcast next. Do you know Joe Weiland at all? No, I don't. Joe Weiland. Uh, I call him Weiland because I, I'm a fan of Scott Weiland. It's Weiland, but I'm going to call him Weiland oh, yeah. until the day I die. <laughs> uh, Joe Weiland is a huge whiskey guy. Yeah. Like he loves to, we, we were teammates. I wish I knew he was a whiskey guy. We would have been best friends. Now I see him posting about whiskeys all the time. I'm like, oh my God, where were you five years ago when we were together? We would have, we, yeah. you would have been my best man at my wedding, man. What's going on? So Joe, Joe Whelan is a guy you got to get on here. He'll, yeah. he'll, he'll be a great guest. It's always good. It's good to talk about whiskey with people that like it, you know, that, that enjoy it and, and can appreciate it. Like, like you said, it's not getting drunk. It's just more about enjoying it, like talking about it, um, introducing people to new things that they haven't had. Because a lot of people, I think they try it and they like it or they don't like it. And then they kind of give up on it. So if they don't really care for it, they've had a bad experience, they kind of give up on it. And not without realizing that there's a lot of really good, like we're talking about the Midwinter Night Scram. Oh, so good. You're, you're drinking right now, pure gold. But I didn't, like, I didn't love Rise. And this is one of the first Rise that I was like, this is incredible. Now, obviously it's finished. So it has that that smoothed out finish, but the whistle pig's not finished. That's just straight rye and I love it. But like, until you try more things and sometimes you might not like a rye because it's a, a lower end one. And then you try one that's good and it blows away your expectations and it becomes a lot better. So now you can kind of expand your horizons a little bit with what you're enjoying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And you mentioned, you mentioned, you mentioned rise. Like I, it was the same thing I did, like, like we just talked about. It was the same thing I did with tequila. Like, I didn't know what to expect. I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about a tequila except, boy, Patron is battery acid. Like, I, that's all I had. Like, I, I used to do Patron shots when I was in college because we thought we were being ballers. But really, we were just being stupid children. <laughs> just college kids drinking Patron thinking you're high class. Yeah, we were. Oh, man, we made it. We made it. We're drinking Patron. Patron silver. Oh. Oh God! No, oh, I know. I'm having I'm having nightmares thinking about that. Oh my God! I just had a horrific flashback. It's like it reminded me of college. But remember when we all thought that? Uh, remember we all thought that? Uh, what's it called? Uh, Jägermeister was drinkable. Yeah. Nope. Yep. We all did it. You not see me to touch that right now. I haven't touched it since 20. I had a bad experience. Couldn't couldn't pay me. You'll there's no amount to put Jägermeister in my system ever again. Nope, never. That's one I can I can assure you, I will never have Jaeger and I will never have Southern Comfort ever again. We lived the same life. <laughs> never. I I because when I was in college, the, the the shot of the world was Soco. Um, the, the, the Soco lime. <laughs> you did so. You drank Soco limes in college. You did it. Soco limes. Oh God, I've just oh. Mm -hmm. I had a Soko lime in college, and I just tasted it just now. Yep. Oh, uh, Jaeger bombs. Wow. Oh, 
never doing that again, ever again, ever again. I, I haven't had a shot since college. Don't worry. But I'm just saying this is what we did in college because we were stupid. Um, Soko Limes, Jaeger Bombs. And I remember another thing with Soko that we used to do because we, uh, me and a couple of teammates had a night class. We had one night class that was in the, like a perfect night. It was like Thursday night at 8 o'clock for two hours. Don't know how this class existed. I remember it was an automatic A. All I had to do was write a 12-page paper at the end of the semester. And I could write a 12-page paper right now in 30 seconds. I just couldn't do it. That being said, we went to it because we found the class fascinating and we used to get drunk before we went. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm proud of this. It's no, just a yeah. um, But it was SoCo, and I, God, I can't believe I'm saying this. SoCo Dr. Peppers that we really were so inventive that we called uh, Dr. Comforts. <laughs> so we went in, we drink half a Dr. Pepper, and then we filled the other half with SoCo. Mm-hmm. And we'd go drinking in class, and I look back thinking, my goodness, you pathetic child. You idiot. What are you doing? That's embarrassing. If I walked in my house with a Dr. Pepper, first my my wife would wonder what was wrong with me. If I told her I was drinking a SoCo and Dr. Pepper, (laughs) I feel nothing but shame right now. Zero. It's not good. Oh, horrible, horrible. Oh, Cody, I will let you go, man. Listen, I really appreciate all of your time. Um, man, between your baseball, whiskey, like I've really enjoyed chatting with you and, and really, really appreciate your, your time tonight. Tony, this was an absolute blast. I had more fun doing this than any show combined, really. This was great. Thanks, man. We'll do it again sometime. I can't wait. All right, thanks.